0: We're beginning a new series this morning. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm just gonna say this: uh, the, I, I didn't. Jamie asked me. She's like, "How long do you think this will go?" I said, "I really don't know." I said, we're just gonna take our time in Galatians. So we're probably gonna be in Galatians till about the Christmas season, till about December. You're like, "How on earth can Pastor Peter talk for so long on only a four chapter book?" Friends, there's a lot in here. There is so much. Um, we will try not to, if you will, stagnate in places. We will continue to move because uh, things do build and grow. But this, there's no sprinting here. There's much to learn. And my theme for you is this, for really the whole thing, um, freedom, spiritual freedom. I used, to be, uh, I used to do advertising. So let me just illustrate this real briefly. So I did advertising in a bank for about 10 years. And we would often have meetings that go like this. The marketers would come in, and they'd have their exciting new product. Let's say it was a mobile deposit. That wasn't really happening yet, but you know, you take a picture of your check, shows up in your bank. Uh, really fun stuff. Very helpful on a number of occasions, especially when the banks are closed. And so you might come in, and they'd be like, Peter, we've got a great new product, and we want you to do a bunch of ads about it. And you might say, all right, well, you know, tell me about it. And, like, and, and, and the bad marketers? they have already written the ad for you. They're like, don't worry, we got it all figured out. You don't need to do anything. We'll we'll tell you exactly what it needs to say. And usually they'll produce a bullet list of like 20 items. Well, you can take six pictures a day, and the camera will take it for you, and the money will show up automatically in your bank, and you can have these many limits. And they list what we would call all of the features. The features are what something does. but they forget to mention the benefit. Now, good advertisers will take all the features, and then they'll think about it and go, "Okay, what is the actual benefit to mobile banking? Well, the benefit is this. You get to use your time for things you enjoy doing, not for driving to a bank, standing in line, and doing all that, right? That's the benefit. So if you built an ad on all the features, some people might like it. But they're always like, you got to remind people of the actual benefit. And I think Galatians, is it's interesting to look at it a little bit through that lens. The feature is this. You are righteous when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's how it works. The benefit is this. You're free. You're set free. Well, what am I free from? You're free from the tyranny of sin in your own heart. You're free from the fear of death. You're free from the wrath of God. You're free from ignorance. You're free from all sorts of things. And so what I want you guys to really walk in, and me too, I want you to walk in freedom. Okay? So let's pray, and then we'll begin. Jesus May we walk in freedom as we respond to the message of the gospel. Would you help me to speak, Lord, words of truth? Would you help Anne to interpret them well? Would you help all of us to hear and to see and to apply? And Lord, if any of us are here in this room or online who haven't put their faith in Jesus, may we see him this morning as he is the Son of God. In your name we pray, amen. I'm going to read all 1 to 13, and then I'm going to go back, and we're going to kind of just go verse by verse, okay? Which I don't always do, but we're going to roll that way this morning, and that might be kind of how we take all of Galatians. So here we go. Paul, we're up there? All right, thank you, Isaac. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and our turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. For I would have, you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. We're going to stop there at verse 12. All right, ready? If you have a pen, I would say grab it. Be handy. There's one in front of you, chairs and stuff like this. This will kind of help you to interact with what I'm doing up here. If you're at home and you've printed this out, go ahead and grab a pen. You could track along. Or if, you, uh, if you're one who writes in your Bible, um, you could do that. My mom's an avid writer. My dad loved to write in their Bibles. It never did. Some people like that. Here's the thing. Go to verse 1, and I want you to, if you have a pen and your bulletin, you can just underline where it says, not from men nor through man. So Paul is beginning his letter, and that phrase, he always starts his letters, Paul, an apostle, from Jesus by God. This is the only letter where he adds that little phrase, not from men nor through man. What does that mean to you, that he feels obligated to put that phrase in here? What does that signal to us as readers? That he is under attack, right? That he is being discredited. The letter of Galatians is to a church in conflict. Galatians, a church in conflict. Teachers have come in, and this is what they've said about Paul's apostleship. Paul He's like a second hand apostle. Now, we know the real apostles, they would say, were Peter and James and John. They walked with Jesus, they met him, they spent years with him. Paul came at the end, said he saw Jesus on the road. But he's like, they're the real ones, and he's like the second one. That was the beginning of their attack to attack his credibility as his authority. So, he feels obligated to say right in the beginning, look, that's not how it happened. I'm not an apostle because Peter and James said, we're commissioning you as an apostle and laid hands on you. I'm an apostle because Jesus Christ met me on the road, and he chose me, and he commissioned me to go to the Gentiles. So, that's why he adds, not from men, nor through man. Now, notice this too. Just by virtue of saying that and contrasting that with Jesus Christ, what is he saying about Jesus? He's saying Jesus is not an ordinary man. Because he's saying Jesus, right, is the author of his commission. Instead, by linking Jesus Christ and God the Father together, he's pointing out the divinity of Jesus and the equality of Jesus Christ and God. And he's also bursting into the theme of the resurrection from the dead, right, who raised him from the dead. So right in the beginning, he's laying this groundwork. Now he says, and all the brothers who are with me. Now why does he add that? And there's a footnote, A, because brothers could be used to mean brothers and sisters. It's a term used generic, uh, generically sometimes and specifically. So he, he, he wants them to know, look, I'm not a lone ranger, second-rate apostle out here teaching a weird gospel. I'm also part of a community of faith, you know, and we are sending our greetings to you. So Galatia, um, there were churches in the south. They were started originally. This is like Turkey, okay, between Well, anyway. And then there were churches he planted in the north. A lot of scholars don't know if he's writing to those based in the south or those in the north. They've been disagreeing for centuries. It actually doesn't matter for our intents and purposes. He's writing to churches within a particular region, more than one of them. Now, get to verse 3 here. Go ahead and underline or circle the words grace and peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Martin Luther, who I'll be quoting along as we go at times, says this. These two words, grace and peace, include all that belong to Christianity. Grace releases sin. And sin or peace makes the conscience quiet. Grace releases sin right? You're forgiven by grace. And peace makes the conscience quiet. You're no longer replaying the sins of your past. You're no longer burdened by your guilt, tortured by your conscience. You can sleep at night because you have peace with God. Other authors, non-Christian authors, use that phrase, grace and peace, but Paul filled it with far deeper meaning. And that's the promise of the gospel. It's right, whether you're new in your faith or you might forget this, you don't have to create your own peace. You don't go out and try to create your own grace. God is a compassionate and gracious God, right? He sent his compassionate and gracious son that we can be forgiven and that we can have peace, which means that even on the days when you don't feel peaceful, and we have those days, right? (laughs) Almost every day. (laughs) even on the days when you're disturbed and agitated and upset, fundamentally, if you're in Christ, you're still at peace with God. You're not his enemy. You're his friend. Verse 4 describes how this happens. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from what? The present? evil age. We're going to come back to that phrase, according to whose will, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is telling them right in the beginning of Galatians, and he's going to build and build and build on these themes. Look, Jesus Christ has been, has given himself up for whose sins? Whose sins? Our sins, he says. Not the sins of the holy saints of old, not just Peter, James, and John, not just Billy Graham, right? Not just for the good, famous, nice celebrity Christians, right? It's for our sins, for your sins, and for my sins. Again, hear Luther, though. Luther says human reason wants to present to God not a real sinner, but a pretend sinner. Have you ever done this? Have you ever um, sinned against someone, and you you know you did it, they know you did it, and you have every intention of repenting. You're going to make it right, but you decide to wait. Am I the only one who's ever done this? You decide to wait. You justify your waiting for whatever reason. But the real reason is this. You don't want to be a sinner. And if you can kind of wait long enough, then you can come back and confess that sin as if it's not that big of a deal. You can pretend it's something other than it is. That dynamic of us trying to pretend and soften and justify strips the gospel of its power. Jesus Christ gave himself not for our pretend sins, but for our real sins. You do not need to live burdened by your sins. He came specifically for them, but not just giving himself for our sins, right? Our real sins need a real Savior, but to do this thing where he picks us up and he delivers us out of the present evil age into the age to come. Now, the word age is the word, I think, I own. I'm guessing, ionos. And it tends to mean a, like, not just a time period, but a whole dimension ruled by other realities. When we use the age, like word age, you ever, you know, stone age, what does that mean, stone age? I have no idea what it means. I think it means we use stones to build things. Is that the idea? Iron age, we used iron. The nuclear age, we figured out nuclear power. The digital age, right? When we use the word age, what's it kind of referring to? It's usually referring to a technological breakthrough, right? That changed the way we live our lives. When Paul uses the word, and so we have a lot of them, and we'll keep having them every time we use it that way. Paul said there's two ages. There's two ages. There's the present evil age, and there is the age of Jesus Christ. He sometimes uses the language of kingdoms in a similar way. Colossians 1 says he's delivered us from the domain, the region, of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So Jesus has done this work. And this is my central point of hope for you guys this morning. We have been delivered. We are not residents. We are not overcome. We are not citizens of the domain of darkness of the present evil age. We're citizens of heaven. And we're in the already... This transfer in reality has happened. You are a child of God if you are in Christ Jesus. You are in a new kingdom, in a different domain. You're the citizen of a different age, even though it's not yet complete. So what are the implications of this idea that you have been transferred from the present evil age into the domain of righteousness in the kingdom of God? One of the big implications right now has to do with activism. Let me tease it out. How is the world divided? How is the world divided? Well, there's a lot of debate right now, and I think we're kind of in an age of activism, sort of the spirit of the age. There's a lot of it happening. Some of it's good. Some of it's not. But one of the underlying ideas is that the world is divided between those who oppress and those who are oppressed. And then the theory is, historically in America, whites have oppressed blacks. Men have oppressed women. People with abilities have oppressed people with disabilities. And they're dividing our nation and our world by those categories. Now have those things happen? Well, yes. Historically, those things have all happened in different ways and in different times. Is that the fundamental division, though? No. The fundamental division is actually between God and all of humanity. So the fundamental division is I have a holy, pure, and righteous God, and I have a world filled with sinners. And because we're a world filled with sinners, we go on and create the subdivisions of oppression, where if I have power, I oppress you or I'm tempted to. Now, the reality, though, is this. Some of our folks, and I want to talk specifically to our our deaf congregants right now, right, whether here or or through the camera. They have been discriminated against in ways you who hear have not been. That's fairly easy to prove, right? And so, it's not like we're saying, well, just because the biggest reality is God and people, that the other levels of oppression and sin never happen. They do. Right? It's easy to see when it happens. And so, what the gospel says is this. First of all, it gives a huge measure of hope to our deaf congregants. Or if you're in the camp where you've been oppressed because of the color or shade of your skin... Or whether you've been overlooked at work because you're a woman and not a man, or whether as a man you feel unduly oppressed by everyone blaming you for all the problems of the world, right? Everyone kind of finds a place here. Here is the message of hope you've been delivered. You're not in the subdivided kingdom of oppressed people. You're in the kingdom of light, and you've been delivered out of the present evil age into the age of Jesus Christ, which means, yes, we will suffer, and some will suffer more. And we don't want to be okay with that. But we also don't want to sit there and say, I'm only one who suffers. I'm only one who's oppressed. If you're a believer, the beautiful thing that's happening in this church is this, friends. We are showing our community that it is possible to unite around Jesus Christ, whether you can hear or whether you can't, whether you're black or Puerto Rican or white. It doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're working full-time or at home. The subdivisions that people want to say are, are the deepest level of reality are not the deepest level of reality in the body of Christ because the big division between God and man has been collapsed in Jesus Christ. So we look to Jesus and we go, he is the Redeemer. He is the deliverer, and he has delivered me from one kingdom to another. So you might say, I'm no good because I'm a woman, or I'm not good enough because I can't hear, or I'm stupid because I'm this color, but Jesus says, no, you're a child of God. And you're precious to me. And you don't have to listen to what other people say about you and the ways they want to describe you. And you also don't need to fall for the false promise that if I only had power in this world, if I only had the equality I wanted, then all would be right. Because not even if we had political equality does that bridge the final division, which is the realist division. And so as a church, we have to push through and say, we want to preserve, we, we care deeply about real divisions and hatreds that should not exist, even as we hold up the name of Jesus, which say, with ultimately, without Jesus, there will not be justice, because he is the one who says, I am the judge who sits on the throne. So if you see the world as an age of a present evil age and the age of the kingdom of God, you are equipped to bring hope. Hope to people who suffer today yet bear the name of Jesus Christ. You can speak hope into their lives even if their circumstances don't change. Right? What hope would you speak to a slave who was never freed? Well, if they're a Christian and they knew it, it's in their gospel songs. It's in their gospel songs. They knew they were free. They knew they were free. You're in Christ, you're free. Doesn't matter if you have power or not. Doesn't matter if this world is stacked against you or not. If you're in Christ, you're free. And Paul is saying, look, don't lose that freedom. Don't you dare give it up. I have no idea where I am right now. Verse 6. The Galatians were about to give it up. They were going to trade in their freedom for a cultural lie. But I'm astonished. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting. How quickly was it? Could have been months, guys. One or two years, probably tops. This wasn't a church slowly drifting into heresy. This was a church planted by an apostle, quickly being overthrown by false teaching. We have to be aware of the danger of false teaching within a church. We cannot afford to be naive about that point, because Galatians makes it clear It doesn't matter who started the church. It matters who continues it. Who will we pass the baton to when we're gone? We're building a church that our prayer is here for generations to come. Will we be faithful to the gospel to the day God calls us home? Are you ready for that kind of commitment? Is that your burning heart that this church is not for you? It's for your children and their children and their children after them. That's part of my hope. He's Paul's astonished that they've quit. He says, you've deserted him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel. There is, I'm going to make this super simple. Here was what the gospel, the, the false gospel, the twisted version. This is it, ready? It's real simple to see. You have to believe in Jesus, and you have to be circumcised. That was it. It was a two-parter. It makes no sense to our minds today. What the heck? You know, why would you add that of all the things you can add, Right? Why are you in that one? But that was what they came with. You had, you, they were saying it was not enough. You can go to Acts 15 too, to see it really clearly laid out. But it's not enough, they said. Jesus Christ is not enough. If you want to be in the kingdom of God, if you want to be delivered, if you want to worship Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, you need to become a Jew. You need to be circumcised to be a true child of Abraham. It's been that way ever since from Abraham to today. And they came in and they were, Paul left. Paul planted Galatia and he went on to other territories. And these guys came right up from Jerusalem. And this is the gospel they started to teach. And they started to convince the Galatians to believe it. Paul says in verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven, right? This is pretty big rhetoric here, right? He's like, I don't care if Michael, the archangel, comes down out of the sky. <laughs> I don't care if Gabriel shows up with a thousand trumpets. I don't, he's like, even if I come back again and change my mind. Eh-eh. If we preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. What does it mean, let him be accursed? Can you jump next, uh, next slide? That bottom phrase there, yeah, let him be a curse. And then he repeats it again. If, you know, if anyone preaches to you the one you first received, let him be a curse. He's referring to the, uh, the Old Testament idea was, look, if there are blasphemers and false prophets in the community, community of faith, you devote them over to destruction and you kill them. You stone them. That was it. That was God's decree. Paul's not saying that. He's saying you don't kill them. He's saying you kick them out. That's what let him be a curse means. You expel them in the community of the church. If they're preaching a gospel, that's not the real gospel. Galatians 5.10, he says, I have confidence, this is later in the letter, I have confidence in the Lord that you'll take no other view. That is, I'm I'm believing in the Lord, you're going to agree with me here. And one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So Paul doesn't even necessarily know the person who's doing this. But he is expecting them as a church, to take action against false teaching. Now look at verse 10. He's sort of responding here. He says, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. What do you take from those questions? Am I trying to please man? Why does he like go into this? Right? He says, I'm an apostle. I'm not called by men. I'm called by Jesus, who gave himself, who delivered us. I'm shocked that you're abandoning this message. And now he says this, am I trying to please man? I think the argument was this. They came in and they said, look, Paul preached to you, you're saved by faith. He didn't want to mention the circumcision part because he knew you guys wouldn't like it. But you got to do it. Paul's kind of a people pleaser. He just wanted y'all to jump in the Christian bandwagon, but he kept out the hard part. You know what Paul said to them, though? I'm going to read from Galatians 6.12. Paul said, right, I know they're accusing me of being a people pleaser. He says, but this is the deal in 6.12. It's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh, i.e. those who want to appear good to other people, who would force you to be circumcised and only in order, right, this is their logic, only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. He's saying their motivations aren't even pure. They are trying to be the people pleasers here. They're the ones who are trying not to be persecuted by their fellow Jews who may not be Christians, who are wondering what on earth you're doing, opening the gates of the kingdom to people who are not circumcised, getting a ton of pressure in Jerusalem and in Israel from that. And verse 13, he says, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh, that is in what you've done. I'm going to close on this question here, okay? Because right now, that part isn't registering for you. You're not sure, well, what does that mean for me? Here's the idea. In Jerusalem and in Israel, there is a huge amount of cultural pressure on the church. It's a dominantly Jewish church to continue circumcision wherever the name of Jesus is preached, because they're claiming he's the Jewish Messiah, well, you you at least better circumcise these people, right? And the threat of it is this, right? It's implied. If you guys don't do that, you can't really be part of us anymore. If you're going to go out there and broadcast a gospel where people don't need to be circumcised, well, then we're done. Like, you are seriously undermining all that we are as a culture, circumcision becomes the line in the sand, becomes the line in the sand. That was the point of contention. Paul argues a little earlier in Galatians. He's like, look, if you're circumcised, you've got to keep the whole law. They don't even do that, and they may not even care if you do that, but that's the deal. If you take the covenant promise to Abraham, you're bound to the whole thing. You can't cherry pick. So, is there a line in the sand culturally that you experience in your heart, where is the place you feel pressured by the world to do what they say so that you can remain part of them? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Where do we as a church feel pressure from our culture that if we don't cross that line and join them, we can't really still be part of them? And the more you want to be someone who has influence and say in the world, the harder it will be for you to resist the pull of that pressure. I would argue, and we can debate this some other time, that that line in the sand is this statement, I can do whatever I want with my own body. There's plenty of places where the church disagrees with people, but I think right now culturally, There's a stance that says I can do whatever I want with my own body sexually with respect to my gender, anything I want, and that is true and that's the pathway to equality and freedom and deliverance. And what you're going to see is when churches decide that that's also their position, they not only agree with that position, they inevitably end up throwing away major doctrines like heaven and hell and salvation through Jesus Christ. Because the ideas that got you to that point bear fruit in all the other areas. So you will feel this pressure upon you as an American who's also, if you are in fact a follower of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, you'll feel constant pressure to cross that line in the sand so that you can belong. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but that's how I kind of see it right now. We'll get into the idea of circumcision and works much more deeply as we go. I just want to lay out that I think there's a fundamental piece of pressure that we as a church say no to, and it comes at cost. There is a cost attached to saying no to that. You may be rejected by people. You may be mocked. You may not get a promotion at work. There may be material costs. You may not get hired at jobs. You may be labeled as a bigot. You will experience more and more what it is to be oppressed. But you will know on that day you still have been delivered. And so the gospel is our security to know that no matter when we stand for Jesus, we always stand for Jesus from a point of freedom and deliverance and blessing and safety. Even when the pressure is hard. I'm going to close just reading the final verse again, and then we'll wrap it up. Paul kind of ends where he begins in verse 11 and 12. I'd have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. Right? First he said, I'm not an apostle because of men. And now he says, my gospel didn't come from men either. I didn't receive it from any man, not Peter, not James, not John, nor was I taught it but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. The last thing we have in Acts 26 that Jesus says to Paul, Jesus says to Paul is this, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. Here's the purpose. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified. And this is how Jesus says it'll happen, by faith in me. So, friends, be encouraged. If you have faith in Jesus, your sins are forgiven, and you have a place among all those who are sanctified. You have been delivered from darkness to light out of the present evil age. So on the theme of justice, do care. Do care. Just remember, as you go into those fields, bring Jesus with you. Because you still haven't seen anyone delivered from darkness to light until they've come to Jesus Christ. So as a church, we receive the testimony of Paul. This is where we stand. We believe he was sent by God. We believe his message came from God, and we believe it's true. We have a lot more to go in Galatians, but not today. Let's stand today, We'll pray, and then we'll close with a final song.